I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Hello, ahoy and welcome to Always There, the Howard's Way podcast. I'm Julia Rayside. Thank you for joining me as I navigate through every single episode of the 1980s seafaring soap opera set in the fictional English coastal town of Tarrant. It would be a lonely voyage without you. And joining me to discuss Series 2, Episode 9, is the writer and podcaster, Chris Thorpe Tracy. Hello. Welcome back. I cannot, but be- I'm so honoured. I cannot <laughs> believe you've had me back. Second it's so time nice. of shipmate. No, no, no. You were so good the first time. Also, this episode features quite heavily the issues of, you know, ecology, animal welfare. I just thought we could use some of your expertise. Does it? Which, <laughs> which episode are we doing? Chris, you're looking confused. Did you watch episode nine of series two? I did. <laughs> no, remember that character at the end, Curtis Yeager? Yes. Stuff happens with him later on. And also during this season, I wouldn't have known because I'm just doing this episode. <laughs> but poor Leo got in a bit of a yeah, trouble on one of his demos. Yeah, his black eyes healed now nice and quickly, but he did get punched by a hired thug. Turned out to be hired by Ken Masters. But unknowingly swears Ken yeah he's so full of it he said it was a counter demonstration but he's lying through his teeth because he wants to have sex with Jan um, so we start this episode um, now what did I put here oh yeah the, the, it's a very big close up of spray on a hull yeah did you see that opening shot it was a bit I'm not they, really sure what they were going for with that and they lingered on it it was they lingering did. on spray and hull yeah but it didn't really I don't it didn't really tell me anything about what I was about to see it didn't really help the episode but anyway we pull back to see that Bill is washing the underside of an old tub called Joe <laughs> just a boat <laughs> called Joe it's smug bo- smug Bill's spray that's yes it that, that's it maybe it's establishing his smugness and we'll find out why in a minute but anyway Tom then is returning from his ill-fated voyage on the Lynette and he's got a diffident chin, but he looks a bit defeated. And the main beam has cracked while he's been out sailing the boat. And he insisted the main beam was strong enough, but Bill told him it wasn't and he wouldn't listen. I felt like that is almost the worst we've seen, Tom. Like, yeah. he really was gutted. Yeah, he's had divorce, his child's gone missing. Nothing compares to one of his designs turning out to be a bit bollocks. And Bill is well chuffed as well. <laughs> he's delighted. <laughs> the creases around Tom's mouth are so deep. It like shows... Well, you can see when he's concerned because that jowly creases just get like uh, the Grand Canyon. And, and he walked is... in a kind of defeated way as well. Yeah, he did. So the main beam has come asunder and Bill is delighted to be right. And there's this amazing shot. I really loved... I was watching this this morning and freeze-framed it and actually took a picture of it because I'm weird. <laughs> there's this beautiful shot. I love it when you see the mermaid of the mermaid boatyard. So you know the office has this beautiful ship's bus perched on top and you rarely see it but occasionally a director will pick up on it and just feature it in the background so you kind of see tom in close-up in profile but then just in the background this like well pair of boobs just sticking out behind his nose it's rather lovely I you get to it. see the actual mermaid but that's a definitely a director putting some flaring because there's a couple of other shots in this episode oh really that, that are you kind were... of like that yeah like i'm gonna focus in on the important images of yeah. the series yeah yeah 
to add a bit of colour, the directors on Howard's Way were always giving a bit more than they needed to, and I like that. I appreciate it. I want them to know. Anyway, in the Yard's office... Um, <laughs> no, I do! Your Insta-feed as well. <laughs> I know! Because sometimes you just have to tell the world that you love a thing. Anyway, back inside the Yard office, Avril, we can see her face in huge close-up, and she's talking to Mrs Davis Seagram on the phone. She says, yes, Mrs Davis Seagram, I do understand. It turns out, I think, that this woman who Jack's been avoiding is trying to get the boatyard to give her a quote to build a wooden boat. Why Jack would be avoiding her, I don't know. But he mentions that he thinks she's a fat old cow. Tom comes in, he's irascible and cross, and he's immediately doing calculations for the main beam. He doesn't say anything to Avril about what's gone wrong no, as well. He doesn't, which no. is kind of Jack like behaviour. Yes, it is, isn't it? But anyway, Mrs. Davis Seagram's coming in at eleven. Not that Jack knows this yet, but he's gonna find out when he comes in later. Then we go to the boutique. All my favourite scenes take place in the boutique. And Jan is showing Kate the ropes because Kate, having already like cooked all the family's meals, is now being roped in to run the shop while Jan's going to some important meeting. And she's saying, and these are genuine Delacroix originals. Like, we're supposed to know what that means. <laughs> and Kate's trying not to look bored and tell her that all the colours are ugly and her dresses are awful and she doesn't like any of them. And her mum tells her to keep her voice down. It's quite, it's quite a nice, funny little scene between the two women. I liked it. But also, at one point, Jan calls Kate darling she, like she's yeah, talking she to her daughter. Yeah, she does It's really odd it to lot. address an older person as I darling. Know, does I she know. do that all the time then? She does do it quite a lot. It's, it's, something, it's like a nice little shorthand in their relationship. It sort of shows the closeness of the two women. I think it's quite... Nice. Is Kate her mother-in-law or her mother? Kate's her mother. But you'd think she was Tom's mother because she definitely prefers Tom to Jan. One of my favourite scenes, we'll get to it later, in this one is the little scene they have together oh, yes. that I found really touching. Aww. And I think I've got a little bit of the mum and dad fighting feeling about especially coming back in second season where tom and jan like in some sorts of shows tom and jan would have got back together at the end of the first season absolutely to try and have that ebb and flow yeah whereas this is not about that they are never ever ever getting getting back back together (laughs) no not gonna happen but that doesn't mean to say their relationship can't still have its ups and downs like never (laughs) <laughs> like never and Chris you did the hand action that went with that and I appreciated it even if the listeners couldn't see so Jan is wearing a glorious kind of grape and fuchsia kind of robe thing like it's the most robe like of her outfit so far I'm presuming it's designer all of her stuff was and then Kate says she doesn't mind at all being roped in to look after the shop it'll be a challenge because you know she was pulling potatoes out of the ground with her teeth in the war this is fine she can totally look after a shop for half an hour she can do things with horses that <laughs> anyone can't even imagine yes she can I imagine she a horse whisperer we already know she's going to nail the shop she's going to be brilliant definitely she has this no nonsense attitude (laughs) that you know is going to come in handy when perhaps a customer comes calling anyway then we go to Charles Freer's sort of house slash office slash gymnasium he lives in this very curious sort of multi-purpose dwelling and uh, Gerald's car is swooping up the driveway because the two men have to have a chat because the last time they saw each other, they'd basically decided not to work together anymore. Because it turns out that Charles is Abby's dad. I know, it's pretty gross. Only because now I'm thinking of Charles and Polly at it, and I don't want to. <laughs> Charles can see that Gerald's coming on the CCTV that he's got installed in his gymnasium slash office slash hotel room. <laughs> but he just he doesn't even blink. He just carries on dictating a letter to Emma, his assistant. I got slightly distracted by Emma with her big glasses. Did you? They were great, she's like um, plain Jane Superbrain sort of sexy yes. in the middle of this show. Yeah, and again, in another show, she'd whip those glasses off at some point and someone would say, but you're beautiful. Yeah. And then, you know, yeah. But I'm in this show, she, will, she probably won't even appear again. Or she's just <laughs> definitely a side character. She is, she's a mechanical only. She's not really used for anything else. Charles loves his green screen as well, doesn't he? He's got like, <laughs> these massive monitor, ancient green screen monitors. Yeah, yeah. It just shows he's constantly monitoring his empire. He's yeah. always on top of his business shit. Emma's like his business secretary. He has Samantha for his personal matters. Uh. So she's the one who like guards the sex yacht when, when he's got a woman aboard and that kind of thing. <laughs> Emma's only required to do admin and sort of things that require glasses. So Gerald comes in and Charles pretends to play it pretty cool and Gerald sort of says that we've got to sort out our differences. And then we cut to... So Ken's decided he's going to branch out into speedboats and he's got a proposition for Mark Foster who owns this company with the rather brilliant name Fostercraft. Fostercraft. <laughs> so Ken drives up to Fostercraft with Dawn, who's now, been roped that back horrible, in. horrible... The one he was really horrible to yes. at the very beginning. Yeah, yeah. She's had an image enhancement she has she? a bit well so what's happened to her this series one day she just suddenly appears behind the bar of the jolly sailor jack cracks oh. onto her 
And she spends about an episode and a half being Jack's kind of mole and like taking him to casinos and watching him lose money on the horses and stuff. So, yeah. And, and then it's suggested in one scene that they've had a they've had a grown up sleepover, Chris. I'm going to shock you. That, I'm proper shocked. <laughs> Jack. Yes. Ugh. The very same. Don't make that noise. He's a very attractive man for his age. She was too young for Ken. I know exactly. But anyway, since then, obviously, Ken's noticed that she's around and about again. I think she's still working at the Jolly Sailor. And he's decided he wants to use her former connection with Mark Foster, the speedboat king. Yeah, so they arrive, they come and have a look round. Well, it's not a showroom, it's kind of a warehouse with some boats in it, isn't it? Um, one of which is called, I thought, was lovely Midnight Cowboy. <laughs> And kind of uh, ruins the idea of gendered boats, doesn't it? Calling I know. It a midnight cowboy. Yeah, it should be midnight cowgirl, really. Yeah. Uh, so then Ken, obviously charming as ever, tells Dawn she can hang around for the introductions and then make yourself scarce. And he sends her off to Casper's where he says he's going to meet her for lunch. And I thought the scriptwriters had forgotten for quite some time because as the, as the episode goes on, you're like, so when's he going to Casper's? Is she still waiting for him? And I thought they weren't going to pick it up, but they do. So it's all right. So he's yes, he's typically mean to Dawn again. He always is. And then he wanders in the direction of Mark's office because he wants an introduction with him. And then we go back to the boatyard and Jack's just crawled in again at 10am, even though Avril reminds him the yard opens at eight. And, and she says, it's time we had a straight talk. And I don't know exactly what about, but I think basically he's been gambling, getting into debt, drinking, seeing tarts on the side, you know, just the whole bit. And going I think, back to his old ways. Well, exactly. Yeah. Back at Charles Frere's place, Gerald is there, cap in hand, humiliating himself, asking for his... Not It's not his job so much. They keep on saying he doesn't work for him, but he totally is his bitch. Like, he just does yeah, everything he says. Yeah, he's completely obsequious yeah, to him. Yeah, completely. It's really awful. And you also feel a bit sorry for Gerald that he's this kind of yeah. slug. And he demands that he has Gerald's total loyalty. I do feel really sorry for Gerald. I know. His, like, nice his home man. life is pretty... It's appalling. Apart from, I mean, I assume he still goes off to London and has the odd so. little fling with a boy I, on the side. I don't, I don't even know if it's boys. I think it might just be one boy. I think he's got someone special. But yeah, I think he endures his home life very stoically and he deserves a bit more respect at work. But, you know, he's not going to get it. So he's done <laughs> not what, in that business. <laughs> nah, he's done what Polly wanted. He's gone back, begged for his job back. Once again, chopped his own dick off and basically put it on Charles's desk going... <laughs> here yeah you have it and then charles says we can resume our association bend over charles yes no <laughs> as bend, long over as gerald. bend over gerald <laughs> and then actually accompanying that moment he says you know if there's, if there's no conflict of interest you know i.e i fathered your daughter then we can go back to where we were before but then there's this kind of like romantic oboe on the soundtrack yeah there's every scene with the two of them is like their bromance is it on is it off and when they See, reconcile, it's like they a really romantic well. moment. Like how how awkward would it be at uni if yeah they've had a thing yeah. and then it turns out he's had a thing with Polly and he's yeah. like that makes that it makes, even more yeah intense and that makes more sense actually I'd not thought of it that way. Then we then we <laughs> go back to the Urquhart's where um, Polly is fixing to meet her friend Virginia Sands for lunch. And she's kind of getting all tizzed up in some terrible garish green outfit that's clashing with her hair. And Abby is, for a change, staring gloomily at some baby pictures and looking gloomy. God. <laughs> and she mentions that uh, she has another dig at her mum because her mum's told her, Gerald's not your father. Uh, I'm not telling you who is. Brilliant. Brilliant plan, Polly. Like that, She's not going to be curious at all. She's not going to try and dig herself or find out. Anyway, the two of them have a bit of a terse standoff and Polly flounces out to her This is lunch. the first time ever, by the way, that I felt sorry for Polly. Really? And I think it's because... Why so? So I'm beginning to notice that the cute younger generation from season one yep. aren't so cute now. No. So Abby... She's grown up a bit. She's hardened, she's yeah. Harder, more yeah. stylish as well. Like not, she's still presented as not that stylish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she's basically kind of an adult person now. She is, yeah. And so her flounciness doesn't, and being miserable all the time, even though she clearly has very good reasons to be miserable. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't take with me quite so much. No. But I actually felt sorry for Polly. Abby was just mean to her. Yeah. And Polly was just trying to say. Cheer up, move on a bit. Be, I know. Be, everything will be okay in the it end. Was, it was an uncharacteristic moment of tenderness, but yeah, obviously Abby is Throw probably it back thinking, in her face. Yeah, it's yeah. a bit too late, Ginger. Yeah. And she's, she's not impressed Which by it Which is true, of course. I mean, yeah. it's well too late. Uh, and then anyway, we go to the slipway then where Ken and Mark are having a high-powered business talk, which begins with a bit of comparing notes about what it was like going out with Dawn. Yeah, that's not... Yeah. Which is a bit 
Eggy. Yeah. I bet they do the dance of business <laughs> for some time. And then Mark business. suggests... It's true, business. <laughs> but then Mark suggests taking Ken out for a test drive in one of his powerboats. Obviously, that is his expertise. He knows boats. And Ken agrees to go for a spin. And that means at some point we get to see Ken on a boat. Yay! Which, again, I keep forgetting. Stephen Yardley was the guy who liked sailing when he joined the cast of Howard's Way. And the one guy who never got to do any sailing on the show. That's so hard. So I'm sure just the powerboat, he was, you know, what the, that scene later on where he looks happy in a boat is yeah. probably just not even acting. It's like, oh, thank God. God, I'm on the water. They let me in a boat. I know. It might be one of these horrible motorboats, but it's yeah, still a boat. I'm exactly. still out there. I'm still floating. And I still look tidy and smart <laughs> on this boat going 100 miles an hour. Well, he, can, he never looks messy, does he? He's got no hair to blow in the wind. And the other way. dude's hair is just everywhere. But <laughs> <laughs> well, we've jumped ahead, but Ken looks good on a speedboat. Anyway, back at the yard, Jack's having his ticking off from his daughter and she points out he's been drinking again and then eventually he admits, I'm a craftsman, Avril. <laughs> <laughs> he's missing his word. <laughs> he is missing his word. And it is tied in to Tom taking control of things, isn't it? And totally. he just feels left out. He's just got yeah. FOMO. It's another emasculated man on Howard's Way. Yeah. There's a lot of it about in the 80s. It was all about, you know, are you alpha? Do you have the most money? Are you running businesses and sleeping with beautiful women? But maybe that's why he's chasing skirts so much this series, because he just uh, feels completely yeah. out of control of the other areas of his life. I love psychoanalyzing the characters of Howard's Way, because actually it always does add up. They've always thought about this the writers very good yeah so it's really strong in that area of motivation and yeah. all that stuff it really is which means yeah. it was the days of actors going well what's my motivation <laughs> love yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wood of course yes wood wood, wood. speedboats <laughs> wood high fashion <laughs> I have just stopped fancying Avril is it the makeup they've done something weird with her makeup I think they've she's got too much Do you know slap what? I on I don't even know what it is visually no. I'm too much of an ignorant quite, quite a lot of red, but... red lipstick and I don't know when she caught Tom's eye she was this quite natural looking young woman yeah. And now she's covered in hoary slap and looking a bit like she's trying too hard. Well, no, she is. But, you know, that's just fashion. Anyway, Avril and Jack have been talking. She gently lulls him into the idea that maybe he could join with them and run the yard together rather than fighting them on everything all the time. And it's a really nice heart to heart. Yeah, and it's sweet. And actually, there's quite a few of these scenes this episode where parents and children are coming to an understanding, being less aggy with each other. Yeah, um, less aggy. But he's still really not happy that Mrs. Davis Seagram is coming to the office, calls her a fat old bag crucially. it seems to be mainly that he doesn't like that she's fat he's decided he knows who's coming in and he doesn't want to meet her let's put it that way yeah then back outside in the yard by the water this black open top porsche kind of skids into the yard yeah and who's inside caroline davis seagram is inside uh-huh. And, and she's and, and not she, fat. Is she a fat old bag? No, she's the very glamorous Christina Greatrex, who yes. I got really excited about because I'd heard of her and really? I recognised her face. Where did you see and her before I thought, this? I can't remember, but she's, oh. but she's done things like right through 60s and 70s she stuff She has got well. one of those Bond girl aesthetics, hasn't yeah. she? Like the classy, probably married someone high up in business. She's got that kind of high status, incredible bearing of someone who's just it. Yeah. <laughs> and she turns up and she's very optimistically, she doesn't take them off for most of the episode, wearing shades it's never sunny in Tarrant wearing these huge sunglasses that just sit on the pinched bridge of her nose she just looks absolutely devastating and she says my name is Caroline Davis Seagram on Seagram she just waggles her eyebrows yeah it's just so hot it's yeah it's really <laughs> awesome and Tom is sitting on the floor of the boatyard with Davy I think some other people and he doesn't get up but he just says oh can I help you and she's asking for Jack and even he you can see is a little bit like Hello. You know, he he looks a bit sort of dumbstruck. She exudes power as well. It's, she does. It's not just sort of glamour. It is, no. She's like really powerful. And she drives a black Porsche. Yeah. And I'm guessing that would then would be pretty impressive. Yeah, um, <laughs> and now. <laughs> well, yes, absolutely. So then we go back to Fashion HQ. And Claude is being the frustrated artist. He's trying to attach some sort of cummerbund to a cream dress. He's faffing about. And then Lynn arrives with her new bob. I think this might be the first time we've seen her new haircut. It's not so much I disapprove. I just feel feel a bit sad about Aww. it and also she's marrying a man with a mullet in a ponytail and <laughs> and he's it's not good is it he's i mean i didn't want her to marry charles or anything no, i didn't no, no, want no, her no, to no, no, no. but no. she's gone from 
Wow, I just wanted more for her, that's all. <laughs> that's so sweet. You're clearly quite cross with her. She should be a world champion yachtsman. Well, I know she should be the next Claire Francis, not be sort of piddling about with some, some French Exactly. Fop. But you're quite right. She's wearing some kind of mushroom two-piece. She's gone into quite so boxy bad. jackets now. It's not nice, is it? No. To be honest, her fashion was always a bit odd, like sort of amazing figure that she's got. She was always wearing these kind of like parachute tent things that were just a little bit odd. Except when fabric. it was freezing cold and she was in a bikini. Oh, God, no, I know. Oh, God, some, some of the swimwear she had to wear. Do you know who thing. she dresses most similar to who? is her grandmother. Oh, she does, actually, she yeah. She really does just dress like Mrs fabric. Harvey. <laughs> she comes in, uh, she's soothing Claude, who's faffing about his collection, not being ready on time. Meanwhile, Jan's in the office with a guy from the bank, or as Claude says, a guy from the bank. The bonk, <laughs> and so, she's yeah. telling him off. I loved her telling off the bank man. That yeah. was great. Yeah, yeah, she totally psychs him out, doesn't she? He's doing a lot of eyebrow acting, this actor. He plays, is it Mr. Peterson, who I guess only appears in this episode. She's trying to arrange a loan because Ken hasn't come up with the money that she was hoping for. So she's going it alone, basically, and she's going to use her house as collateral. But they have this rather tense meeting where she's obviously, as all the women are in Houseway, she's way on top of her figures, she's done her research, and she's just constantly fighting this guy's eyebrows. He's just like waggling disparagingly at her the whole way through the scene. Yeah, and he's really patronising. And she has to get quite aggressive. Yeah. And she's kind of telling him off. And that's it's, it's really hot, good. It's isn't it? Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> oh, why am I getting all so <laughs> distracted by all the hotness? What's going on? I wasn't this pervy last are you, time. Are you having the menopause? <laughs> I think I might be. I think you've got hormones. There's lots of uh, strong women schooling men in this yes, episode. Yes, there are. Well, that's, you know, that's no bad thing. And what I didn't get as much of is competency porn. Yes, I know you liked that last episode. Yeah, I yeah, got a yeah. really good business episode last time yeah, and there did. was some good po- competence porn. Yeah. There is a lot of business in this episode though, but it's not as fun, is it? No, it's more like the it's blurry negotiation stuff they do. It's yeah. business. We should talk about this well, rather than numbers and bits of boats and stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's just not as much fun this yeah. episode. And the bank manager tries to do a bit of numbery stuff, but Jan just steamrolls Sh- him. Shuts him down. So eventually he goes from saying, I hardly think we're going to lend you money to... Yeah. Yeah, you are Woman. <laughs> He's just like, yeah, I think I think we will lend you money. That that all seems fine. But he drops the bomb right at the end there that she needs oh, to get Tom's consent. Even though the house belongs to her now because he signed it over to her, there's some loophole which means that his name still has to go on a document somewhere. It's karma because she was such an arsehole even he I wanted to know, put the house up. I know, but it's Tom. I just don't think he could be that much of a beast back. Anyway, then we go to sea, to sea, where Mark is taking Ken for a spin in the fog <laughs> on his power It's boat. awesome. It's my second favourite scene in this episode. <laughs> it's great. Ken on a speedboat. So in this scene, he's not having the best time, is he? No. He looks like he might hurl. Yeah. That's what I've put here. He's not enjoying this powerboat. I would have thought he'd be right at home there, but no, he's gripping the handrail very tightly and he looks like he might be about to bath. Then we go back to the boutique where a woman in in a hot pink tent, I put here, um, is trying on... She can't decide between two outfits. And I've just put underneath as well, Dulcie Gray is no common shop girl. <laughs> like, I don't want this for her. I want her to be in some a nicer setting than looking after her daughter's shop, quite frankly. Mrs Eden is the woman in the hot pink tent, and she's switching between these two equally baggy outfits. Your notes are amazing that you've got Mrs Eden's you've name. You've got to That's get crazy. the names. I mean, if, if I'm not going to do it, who's going to do it? No one. That's who. That is true. So Kate is, this is where her refreshing honesty comes in so handy. <laughs> and she tells the woman that, frankly, neither of the outfits suit her and that they're shocking and to put them back. Which you think, oh, no, terrible sales technique. What's she doing? She's mad. She's gone off book. And then she says to, to this woman that you've got such a lovely figure that you should really wear something a bit more, you know, clingy. And she pulls off the rail one of Claude's special sequin numbers, a kind of like a sheath dress that's much more figure hugging. But also, it's a dress for a completely different occasion no, from the stuff that different. she's been trying yeah, on. Yeah. So she's rejected kind of full-length things yeah. for a pretty saucy party dress. You wouldn't wear it anything other it than a, a, like a hot party of no, some kind. No, probably a swingers party. Yeah. I'm sure Tarrant has those. It's kind of strapless and it's very, very different. You're totally right. So you do know about fashion. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and she excitedly enthuses about the dress, says it's wonderful and asks if she can have it in her size. So she's very easily swayed, this woman. Obviously, Kate, I mean, she knows things about fashion in the 1940s she doesn't really know about fashion in the 80s but she knows what she likes and that appears 
is to have worked with this woman. She does that marvellous blend of upselling where part of the sales patter yeah. is convincing the person that you're not upselling. Yeah, like, oh no, don't buy this, don't yeah. buy that. It's like, oh, okay. Oh, I'm so chuffed that you're not trying to sell me this thing. <laughs> well, what about this one? I know. £850! I mean, in, in 1986, that's a house, isn't it? That's more than the Queen Vic in EastEnders. Completely ridiculous. No one would spend that on a dress, surely. I wouldn't spend that on a dress now, and it's the 2000s. Then we cut to Charles Freer's car barrelling down a country lane and Charles and Gerald are Yeah, inside. just really briefly. And there's lots of scenes where Charles does his stuff either in a car or in a helicopter or on a boat. He's always on the move. He's, He's very not busy. in the sort of boring internal scenes he no. loves his on the move unless he's sitting at the head of a boardroom table kind of like true, owning true. the room but yeah you're right he's often moving like a shark he can never stop anyway charles and gerald are talking business blah i've put here they, there's a lot More of business, business blah. blah it's just there's too much this episode i could have done with a little less so i'd put that it is a very deal making sort of episode yes it is and it's arguably the whole episode is just a series of negotiations one yes. after the other yeah. even right back to avril having the heart to heart with jack yeah but a negotiation about what he'll do about yeah. trying to be involved in things. You're right. It, it follows a pattern this episode, doesn't it? But they talk about some unfortunate man called George Johnson, who they suggest for various reasons too boring to go into, might not have to have his job very much longer. The buzzards are sir. They're definitely on the road to a scapegoating. Oh thing. yeah. I yeah. would not want to be in George Johnson's no way. Shoes, put it Plus that way. he's fat and unattractive, so he's definitely <laughs> screwed. <laughs> he cannot be in this show, I'm sorry. You're ruining the view of all the beautiful people. You're such a Nazi. (laughs) You do really have high standards. I wish I'd put more makeup on now. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Right, so then we go back to the yard office where Jack is glad that Tom is showing Mrs. Davis Seagram around because he doesn't want to have any bar of her. She's clearly getting the full tour from Tom, who's, you know, taking a chance, I guess, drink her in while he can. And uh, Jack is skulking inside. And then Bill comes in and basically squeals to Jack about the main being not being strong enough and it. He, he knew it all along and Tom wouldn't listen. And the two of them, you know, agreeing that Tom's a dick. And then Caroline comes into the office and Jack hides in his own office and shuts the door so Avril just says he's in there (laughs) just gives the game away straight away when they were bitching about Tom they were doing so very pointedly at Avril so she's just sat there and they're going to go Tom's useless and try to warn him that guy you're still boning he's rubbish I assume they are just properly seeing each I mean they are now aren't they they are every every now and again I think or did they they do split up at some point have they split up yet but no there's a couple of moments in this episode where they'll be talking about something and then she'll put her head on his shoulder or something like that so it's like oh no clearly they're still doing it then yeah anyway Caroline comes in into Jack's office (laughs) and he sees her and does that kind of oh but you're beautiful he's completely and also he's like when the door opens and he's skulking in the office he's really skulking (laughs) he's like got his head right down 
down on the desk almost like he's hiding in his yes, own office it's an odd pose it's like he's doing the thinker he's and he moves down, so yeah. fast from that to being like hi I'm Jack I'm very attractive and I'd love to take you to dinner he switches on a dime it's beautiful yeah, it's really funny I was so excited that she showed up yeah. and I assumed she'd be a proper character that would last and she's only in like this and one one other episode is she? So yeah you so know she this. doesn't yeah oh. so she, she doesn't stick with the show you'd think it'd be a nice thing to have a romantic fall for Jack who is more his age yeah exactly <laughs> and she is age appropriate for some of the older she, men in the show yeah she she totally is and gorgeous anyway now we go back to the boutique where Mrs Eden is still being really enthusiastic about the dress she's just tried on in fact she's trying it on now so we can see what she looks like in this 850 pound dress um, which is you know it's nice but it's 850 quid and then Kate starts to do the negative thing again and then she says are you sure you want to spend that much money on a dress it's like well you just told her to like what are you doing she's playing funny head games it's with reverse psychology it's very clever yeah she's a genius she's, she's made that sale genius. she's made that out of nowhere totally did and then has the woman thanking her for taking 850 pounds off her and doesn't being he... such a sort of honest salesperson I know doesn't even give her a discount like Amazing. Jan said you can give a discount of 20% she doesn't even do that because she's canny Kate says to Mrs Eden not at all that's what we're here for like yeah to fleece you out of 850 quid and send you off in a basically a kind of glittery sausage skin anyway she uh, can't go out in that not outside no, it's cold I know it's indecent we'd see her shoulders it's the 80s then we cut to a sign outside a, an anonymous corporate building called Capital House, which sounds like the dullest place ever. It's a um, Karl Marx museum, you know that. Is it really? Capital yeah. House? Das Cap- Capital House. <laughs> Maybe that's what the writer was hinting at here. I doubt it, Chris, though. I, I understand this is an area of interest it to you. It was just, a little, uh, just <laughs> a little Easter egg for someone like me. <laughs> You're seeing things that be, aren't there. By but... this to moment, <laughs> I'm desperate for some communism. Where's the communism? <laughs> oh, you're in the wrong show, my friend. Actually, no, you're not. We haven't Wait even had enough Davy yet. I know, I know. Bless him. He gets to be mute and maybe do some body popping and that's He's got it. some dancing to come. <sighs> he always has dancing to do. He's an ethnic character. Ethnic people are good at dancing it's in Howard's way. to dance. It's appalling. Anyway, a Capital House is our next destination. It's a dull looking corporate building and CF1 Rolls Royce pulls up outside. And Jack, the chauffeur, I got really excited here. Jack, one, I don't think I've ever heard him called Jack before. Maybe I just missed that. He gets a line. He says, very good, sir. I've never heard him speak. The chauffeur spoke. So has it been the same actor playing the chauffeur? Pretty sure it has, yeah. It's always that car and I'm pretty sure it's always that guy. So now he has a name. That's amazing. Yeah. This is almost as exciting as a few episodes ago where I found out that Polly's cleaner is called Mrs. Mole. (laughs) And she's like Mrs. Overall. She kind of like hoovers in the background. She's brilliant. Anyway, Jack speaks and then departs and Charles and Gerald go inside Capitol House. Then, because they've lulled you into this idea that maybe this episode's going to be a bit dull, a bit corporate, a bit grey. No, we're at sea. The Barracuda theme tune's playing and the speedboat is bombing along. And now Ken, suddenly his face has changed from I might be sick to wee! He's loving it now. (laughs) He's having a great time. He looks so happy. I don't think I've ever seen Ken look this happy. And what's the difference? I don't understand why one minute he looks like he's going to barf everywhere. Don't know. And the next minute he is like going to come everywhere he's having a great time (laughs) maybe it's that thing where if you just you know like a hangover if you just look at it dead on and just keep pushing through eventually you feel amazing again if you just don't give in to the nausea he's come out the other side (laughs) he clearly has he's cresting a wave (laughs) thank you Um, so he's really happy he's had some kind of revelation about speedboats being amazing and making him feel amazing being on them and I guess that would make him a really good salesman to be able to sell the boats to other people because now he really can say he's in love with them too as so he suggests to Mark that they talk over lunch about a business proposal that he has to discuss with him. Obviously, he's um, still got a gorgeous smile when he does that little smile. Like yeah. he sounds all fierce and serious, sort of business over lunch. Yes, and yes. then just at tail end, he does a little smile. Yeah, he's got such a gorgeous smile. He's adorable. Ken. So he's still got it. His wife Jan, who obviously is Jan in the show, posts on Twitter sometimes. And there was a really nice photograph. I think it was his birthday or something. And she posted this incredible photograph of him just in a, in a suit somewhere, Riviera-ish looking. And he just looked exactly the same. Just That's like really swaggery and kind of a bit cool. What a dish. I know. He's such a dish. Then we go to the yacht club where, um, this is my favourite scene. I love this scene so much. So Sonia is one of my favourite characters in Howard's Way. She is the uh, eccentric fashion designer. Always carries a huge portfolio. She wears 
wears like a floor-length leather trench coat. She has her hair swept into a side pony. It just says fashion designer. And she's trying to get through the crowded bar with her big portfolio under her arm. She's clearly coming to meet Lynn and Jan to discuss wedding dress designs. And she's saying, excuse me, excuse me. And I kind of wanted her to finish that sentence. Excuse me, coming through. I'm a fashion designer. (laughs) There's a fashion emergency over there. (laughs) Weirdly, she looks exactly like a fashion designer now. She does. She, that's what she they does. look like now. I know, in awesome. Shoreditch. The hair especially, like, yeah. she looks so Shoreditch now. She really does, And yeah. she looks like someone who presented the clothes show yes, in 1986 yes. or something. Absolutely. Perfect. The sort of offbeat, quirky one. Uh, yeah, she barges her way through the bar and she finds Jan and Lynn who are at a table sort of having a gin and tonic and then she says rather formally, I'll have a drink, then I'll show you the final drawings. Like, <laughs> just, yeah, okay, we know what you're here to do, that's fine. So we leave it's the ladies exposition to, to a new level. It is a bit. It's not quite, obviously, the gold standard for that is Downton Abbey I'm going to go upstairs and take off my hat (laughs) you really don't need to tell anyone (laughs) didn't need to say that out loud about that but there we go so so even in the 80s Howard's Way doesn't ever get to that literal estate so you know I, I can always let it off then we go back to the Yard's office where oh god no this is a really nice segue so you go from this sort of very 80s scene of fashion and the yacht club is so incredibly 80s and then you just cut to tom very quiet sort of close up on his face and he pauses beautifully and just says damn oh it's such an 80s moment and he's just sitting there in this lovely sort of navy pullover and in that moment i just thought yes yes you you're gorgeous he just looks lovely he's in a serious stress though oh no he is he's failing the stress test just like his main beam <laughs> And is there a kind of hint that he's saying, I'm not wrong? Can't accept it because his numbers are right. He's run the numbers again and again. Is there a hint of sabotage here? No, I don't think so. I think he's just really confused because he had such faith in his own abilities. And then clearly something's gone wrong and he's getting it from all sides. So Avril just sort of wants to know, is is it the main beam? Of course it's the main beam. It's all he thinks about these days. He's very upset about his main beam. I remember when your main beam used to mean something all the time. (laughs) Poor Avril. I think maybe they're going off the boil a bit, aren't they? So back at the Urquhart's house, Abby is sadly tinkling the piano keys half-heartedly. And she's still thinking about her baby that she gave away because she's, I don't know, it was such an odd decision for her to make. But clearly for the plot, she had to give the baby away. So Leo is sitting there listening to her as usual, like the doormat that he is, just lets her whine on about her life. Can I say I think Leo is less cute as well? I've written a cuteness has gone from the younger generation and And I feel really sad about it. You were almost like Leo's one champion in this whole Oh yeah, everybody in season one of your podcast (laughs) hated Leo and I still love him. Anyway, they're talking. Abby is, clearly she's just bored and looking for something to do. Yeah. But she mentions that she's arranged to meet Curtis Yeager. And we established that this is not a good idea. The strongest thing Leo could ever say about someone is, I don't think you should be mixing with a man like that. And it's kind of obvious that he's a bit violent and he prefers direct action to peaceful protest. He goes beyond the line that Leo likes to sit at. Exactly. Which is really, really far back from anything dangerous or controversial or difficult. Yeah, he's a leafleter and a a nice protest marcher. Yes, exactly. He's Uh, one of the (laughs) 700,000 who went home nicely at 5pm and didn't bring the government down. Exactly. So Abby mentions that they're going to a party later on that night and she's invited Curtis to come and meet them there. And Leo's face kind of says it all. He doesn't approve. He knows that Abby is too easily influenced by people like this and he can see trouble ahead. And he was right to predict this, quite frankly. Anyway, next we go back to the business place with all the business in it. And Gerald and Charles are talking to George, lovely George, the one they mentioned earlier, whose neck is very much on the block, although he doesn't know it. I thought of a brilliant pun here. Oh, go on. The killing of Mr. George. Yay! That's really good. No, that was terrible. No, no, it was great. Oh, that's so staying (laughs) Am I fired? No! Oh my God, no! I, I'm saying no, but like as if I'd tell you to your face. Oh, I'd, yeah, w- I'd no. wait till you leave, and then I'd yeah, fire call you. My agent. Yeah, no, I'd send someone. I'd, I'd get Gerald to do it. Um, you send Ken. <laughs> yeah, I'd send Ken exactly. <laughs> so George is this lovely, sort of affable, Falstaffian, white-haired figure. He's fat though. He is fat, so he gone. <laughs> but he he asks about the Marina project because he assumed it was cancelled, and Charles says no, it's just delayed, and he's, he's getting up to speed on all of that. But I put here, Gerald looks at George like he's a dead man walking he does Mm. oh it's awful and you know 
And he navigates his way through it. He tries. He does. He does. He tries to do his job. He tries to do the right thing. But I don't even know who this guy is, but he does a good job of making me feel sorry for him in a very short space of time. Has a little bit of the Godfather about it. This Yeah, set of I know. But there's a lot of that sort of slightly mafioso talk, isn't there? I want your loyalty. Yeah. And, you know, so rub him out. <laughs> it's slightly Trumpian. <laughs> it is a little bit. Anyway, then we go back to the yacht club where it's a close up on some of the wedding dress sketches that Sonia has done for oh, Lynn. Yeah, yeah, there yeah. There are loads of them. One yeah. that's incredible like 1920s one with fan pleats they look great and she's put the work in she really has i mean proper shading coloring it's lovely and lynn is bored little rich girl oh it's so difficult to choose like it's the worst problem she's ever had i really like the details while sonia is smoking a very long cheroot yeah just oh and then lynn uh, we don't see which one but she points at one and says that's it that's the one then enter polly and her friend virginia sands uh, obviously, Polly just arrived so she can drop a clangor and leave again. Yeah, she's so stupid. She's so stupid. Oh, my God. Because also, not only does she mention the ghastly business with Charles Freer, but it's also not appropriate. I mean, it's not appropriate for her to say this anyway, but bearing in mind that Lynn knows that Polly has also shagged Charles. It's like, don't oh, bring it up. Oh, Lynn. Don't oh, bring it up. that's awful. Just leave what it. An awful thing to eh? do. Well, I don't feel sorry for her anymore for no. how Abby was speaking to her earlier. Oh, no. she, she deserved it retrospectively. Yeah, she's right back on form. Um, what sorry. a stupid bitch Polly is, really. <laughs> she can't help herself. All she likes to do is cause misery for other people and then just sit back and watch the resulting horror. So she drops her, her awful clangor and just stands there and I just put underneath all suck lemons <laughs> everyone just looks yeah, like just like oh my god it's not good and then we cut to the jolly sailor which is always much more fun than the yacht club the yacht yeah, club's such is. a boring jolly place sailor. so that's when uh, i was talking earlier about the director doing these cuts there is in this episode a sweep upwards that ends on the sign the jolly oh, sailor yes, as well yes yes so it's almost like the director's getting his own little memory board of all the yeah. places he likes yeah it's really sweet so ken's in the pub with mark obviously he decided to have a man's lunch of beer with mark well, took him out on his speedboat Exactly. Least he could do is buy him lunch. <laughs> yeah, Dawn isn't given even a thought here. Ken basically tells Mark that he can sell anything and he wants to help him effectively go a bit down market. Mark's plans are to sell these very expensive boats that cost 40 grand each and he can't really buy many of them at a time. And so Ken's saying they should go down market and get into racing and clearly Ken's been bitten by a bug. It's actually quite sweet. He's got a hobby. He don't think he's ever had a hobby before. Well, he didn't um, have it an hour ago. Well, no, no, it turned around pretty quickly, but he's in love. Like, you can't stop the guy and he offers Mark a financial investment and a plot of land where they can have a really swanky showroom to show off their boats and so they're going to have a partnership and Mark looks more than interested he does yeah he's he's yeah. well up for it he's a bit easily persuaded he's just happy sort of tinkering around with his boats and repairing them and suddenly he's going to go into this big partnership i don't think it's going to end well for him I, i'm not predicting exactly what will happen but i don't think it's going to go that well um then we go to the boatyard where caroline is still being shown around by jack like hours later <laughs> and and this is another piece of wood and this is some shingle <laughs> he's having a great time he just is spinning this out she's still optimistically wearing her sunglasses even though it's definitely not sunny jack's being very ingratiating clearly he likes what he sees and she presents him with her business card and even though they've just had lunch i think they the, the tour has included lunch somewhere uh, he also then invites her to dinner this happens a lot in howard's way literally sometimes while somebody's having lunch with someone they'll say i wonder could you meet me for dinner there's something i'd like to talk to you about it's like i'm just really big on deferred gratification <laughs> yeah, that's it so, that's and it. another meal <laughs> It's like, I want to see how much you can eat before I talk to you. Okay, fine. So they're going to have dinner later that evening uh, somewhere swanky. So funny because he didn't like her when he thought she was fat. I know. And now, now he likes her because she's not fat. So he's trying to feed her up. He's trying to feed her. I know. He's He can't make up his mind, can he? But he looks like the cat that's got the cream when she agrees to meet him that night. And he puffs on a cigar. And clearly his blood is up. Is. He's, <laughs> he's well re- into it. He is so into it. <laughs> he plays it really nice with Glen Owen. He plays it beautifully. He just sort of looks like... His eyes have lit up. Somehow he's done that to his eyes. They look like they're twinkling. And then we go back to the boardroom. The boardroom. A long table with business people also looking bored, sitting around him. And it just looks like his business fin is up and he's sharpening his axe. And he talks about revenue being down 13% and everyone's quoting numbers at each other. Basically, we know that George is screwed. Yeah. George sort of begging his way through and he's basically being blamed for this. Is it 8% something or other? Yeah, I don't know. Numbers, numbers, numbers. Why didn't we have a shout like someone could have just done a shout at i him. know 
and that would have been much more fun. It would have been good, or they could have sacked him in front of everyone. Yeah, that would have been great drama. Some and we don't of, care. We don't know who he is. No, we've, we've only known him for five bag minutes. bag him. Couldn't give a shit. Sack him. But so they don't sack him. Gerald delivers some boring kind of like any other business speech. All the people around there, I mean, all the extras around the table look so <laughs> bored. They're like, why couldn't we get a boating scene? Yeah, I know, Or at I least know. one in that pub. As everyone's nodding off, uh, Gerald says, I think that's everything. And then George basically goes to leave. And as soon as his arse is out the door, Charles says to Gerald, I want him out. And that's it. I don't think we see George again. Maybe we do. I don't know. Could have thrown him out the window. It just seemed quite a lot of fuss for someone who's not even a character in this show. To me, I don't think there is that much padding on this show, but I felt like that whole thing has been padding. I know what you mean. This episode, I think the writer wasn't quite sure how to deal with all the business stuff and he gave it too much weight, I think. That was the problem. There was more dramatic stuff going on elsewhere. Back at the boutique, talking of drama, Ken arrives and has a very frosty encounter with Kate, who doesn't like him at all. And he's sort of... brilliant instance of a woman schooling a guy yes she really doesn't like him because of no she has heard this message about dawn she knows too much about him he doesn't like him anyway no but the evidence is stacking up against him now she knows it was him that hired the thugs that beat up her grandson so you know no surprises there that she absolutely hates him yeah she really does and it's proper cold really hateful she's but she's still class she's so classy with her hatred it's great and every interaction is mrs harvey mr masters like there's no familiarity she is frost personified and then in a very uncharacteristic moment of direct venom kate just hisses at him get out of her life which frankly i'd you know if i was him i'd take seriously so back at the urquhart's house polly is waffling about her day and finding a divine outfit while gerald is not really listening to her because you know what's the point she never says anything good anyway Uh, and she provides them both with a couple of gins with a slice of lemon in no ice obviously because they're allergic to ice in houseware i think they have a half-hearted tiff about the fact that gerald told Abby he wasn't her dad as if Gerald's the one who does the bad bits of the telling yeah and also it's kind of Polly's fault for getting knocked up by someone else but anyway I know they had their arrangement and she probes him a bit about Charles and sort of what's been said and she's now suddenly now worrying having told Charles that he's the real dad of Abby she's now worrying that Charles might sort of cause a fuss or might be more interested in knowing more about Abby or having a relationship with her and she says God I hope he doesn't try to contact her dude you live in the same town like he's just over there (laughs) it's not like he has to fly to another country he'll just come to the house and in some ways she's quite lucky that he hasn't already had sex with Abby because (laughs) he's certainly put it about and he's not got a problem sleeping with really young women from Tarrant yeah you're right that would have been a really interesting twist actually (laughs) I'm almost sorry it didn't happen now (laughs) then we cut to the famous party that's been uh, talked about Let's Stick Together by Brian Ferry is on the stereo my favourite scene it's so good and they dance for ages don't they we just see the party the atmos the kind of scene setting it's a proper montage type yeah. thing it's like over a minute and a half long yeah. of music and sexy people dancing yeah, yeah, yeah. it's quite a good party did remind me if you've seen the other party scene did Davey dance at the last party yes he did he yeah. did he's he? always dancing but to be fair to the show right mm. Davey is in a mixed race couple yes he is Yeah, and that is never a topic now maybe I've missed where no, it was no, mentioned no this but is, he's not completely given Really casually, yeah. he's in a mixed race couple, yeah. and they aren't making a thing of it, they're not. and they're not making an issue, he's and he's dancing, dancing sexually with this girl, yeah. and they're clearly together. Yeah, and so he does start body popping because yeah, that's, he does, that's yeah. what he does whenever he's, he's on a dance floor. He's very good at it too. Curtis Jaeger, Captain Buzzkill himself, <laughs> arrives. Who probably looks like a Nazi. <laughs> he's like, oh look, it's a young Nazi. <laughs> he's got those thin wireframe glasses that Hair Flick perhaps might have sported in the uh, and Hello Hello. He does, yeah. Weirdly, he looks like a Nazi in the 40s yeah and he looks like a nazi on the internet in the 2000s yes he does he does he's got a very similar look that kind of white supremacist thing going yeah. on anyway he looks miserable everyone else in the party is happy he looks yeah, out he of doesn't place. like happiness he doesn't he like fun he doesn't like fun he's the enemy of fun he's and the- only happy if he's stabbing a factory farm owner <laughs> in the eye whilst releasing some mink <laughs> He, he, the only time he cracks a smile is when he sees Abby on the dance floor. Abby clocks him and he does this kind of thin, mean smile. He does a Nazi smile. He does a Nazi smile. What was that accent? Sorry. That, that might be offensive <laughs> to someone. I don't know. Was it I, Welsh? <laughs> was it a Welsh Nazi smile? He does a Nazi smile. Oh. I feel bad now. But the actor who plays him, he does a very good line in sinister undertow. Like He mm. doesn't do much, but you can see 
not a good person. Yeah. Anyway, then we cut in massive contrast to the very posh restaurant where Jack has taken oh, Caroline yeah. for dinner. This isn't even Casper's, I don't think. This is somewhere He's found even another posher. secret restaurant in town that we've never seen well, before. Well, it's not named, but it doesn't, to me, it doesn't look like Casper's. Casper's kind of had a dance floor where pensioners would sort of tango That's while right, I eating. remember, yeah. Yeah. He orders for her. She'll have the soul. I'll have the beef ribs. And they quickly established, call me Jack. Only if you call me Caroline. <laughs> and actually, Jack looks a bit nervous. He's quite cute. He sort of looks a bit, oh, it's a girl. She's pretty. I don't know what to do. It's kind of adorable. And she tells him that she'd like the boatyard to make her boat, but she is shortlisting three potential boatyards. But she mentioned she's only been dining with the owner of one of the boatyards. It's a two meal in a row romantic. <laughs> well, yes, I suppose so. I thought there was. And also, now that you pointed it out, I didn't think of it. Uh, but he has got some great posh game. Yeah. That he has taken her arguably to the poshest place we've seen. Yeah. I mean, literally. Apart from one of the fuck boats. <laughs> he's actually taken her somewhere really nice. It's like almost he's taken her to a different town. Like, I, I don't think have they're they in. gone into Southampton. Possibly. I don't even know if there's anywhere this posh in Southampton. It looks Let's more like. Let's go to Gosport. <laughs> Way. I'll drive you. <laughs> yeah, like they Steady have gone on. somewhere else. And yes. he's outgunned a lot of posher characters. Like yeah. this is a posher place than Charles has taken oh, yeah. people to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And certainly that Ken, like well, Ken Charles would always a private be. chef, so you know, he oh, won't go to restaurants. Oh, that's true, he doesn't need to. Yeah, yeah, he can just... But oh, this yeah. is a really nice place. Like, <laughs> I would like to eat here. Kudos to Jack. Yeah, yeah. When thinking. he goes for it, he doesn't dick around. I know, it's pretty nice. Now, the next scene I really like. So what does a man like Charles Freyer do in his downtime? I tell you what he does. He sits in his, still in this room that's sort of partly an office, partly a relaxation area. But he's on a sofa and he's listening to the overture to Don Giovanni. Yeah. I shazammed it because <laughs> I didn't know what it was. I, I knew it was Classical. Mozart, but I did didn't you? know what it was. Oh, you're so cultured, I'd written, Chris. I'd written Mozart overture. Oh my God, you did. And you knew it was an overture. I got another great headline, wow. The Long Dark Night of the Charles. <laughs> but uh, I wrote Mozart overture. <laughs> But I didn't know it was Don Giovanni. Not only does he listen to Mozart, but he's drinking brandy from a balloon and sort of swishing it round in his hands. And the problem is, because we know him as such a total dick. Yes. It's very hard for him to get away with a moment of like reflection. I know. And he still comes across as a scheming prick, even yeah. though actually he's having quite a personal yeah. thought about finding out about Abby. That's yeah. But it's still done in a kind of, ha, 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 I'm Ex- going to do something evil. Everything he does seems to have an evil ulterior motive. But Gerald did mention earlier, didn't he, uh, I think to Polly, that it's almost as if the idea of him having a daughter now, he hadn't quite finished working out how he feels about uh, it. Yeah, yeah. So this is clearly just a continuation of that. I don't think yeah. he even needed to say that, really. Clearly, it's on his mind. Uh, he doesn't have any other children that we know of anyway. And this is a big deal to him. He's got a daughter. He wants to know more. So, yeah, he asks some kind of shady investigator to look into Abigail Urquhart. Oh, God, I wish it was Lynn. That would be such oh, a no! be so gross, but it'd be so <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Anyway, then we go to the Howard's house. Now, Tom has been invited over to talk to Jan, but he doesn't know what about. Jan, for a change, is being very nice to Tom, clearly because she wants something. But also, I think things have just calmed down between the two of them now and they seem to be getting on a bit better. And she says, do sit down, Tom. She takes a while, but she gets to the point. But she's clearly dreading asking him the question about the loan and the house because she thinks exactly what you said earlier. When the situation was reversed, she was a total bitch about it. Jan says, could I put the house up as collateral? Could you sign this document? And he's just so unbelievably lovely to her. And he just says, I wouldn't block you, Jan, not now. And it's not revenge loveliness. No, he's not even, he just throws it away. He's like, I don't, that's fine. I, I support you. It's really touching. Yeah. And they is. are clearly still, like, I they know. play that really well as a couple that's separated, but still yeah. has, like, they've got their history together. It's they've just got, in a look, isn't it? It conveys all that affection, but without it being, shall we get back in the sack? It's just lovely. And it's interesting because we have this sort of funny conversation about this show and there's so much to laugh with I and know. laugh at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yet some of those performances are really oh. subtle and brilliant. Yeah, These are proper notch. actors. Like, that is a great scene. Totally. Properly done, which now would be done often really clumsily and I know. be achieved. Yep. It's just a quiet moment between two performers where they just get yes. 
the absolute tone of it perfectly right. Yeah. And then I've actually drawn a picture of some eyes with some hearts. Oh, you have it. as well. Yeah. Oh, you really Cause, liked it. Cause it was just lovely. You're so sweet. It made me so happy. Yeah. Uh, Mummy and Daddy are friends again. I'm yeah. so happy. <laughs> I feel okay now. <laughs> so then we go to the snooker hall, which is this weird. It looks like it must be part of the venue where the party's been going on. The Abbey. Yeah, and it's got to be another room. It's yeah. clearly just a bar with a snooker table. And for ages, we're watching this guy playing pool on his own, but like for too long. Yeah. But then eventually the camera does find Curtis at the back of the table holding court with Abby and the rest of the friends at the party. But he homes in on Abby, definitely, who's also clearly quite interested in him and says that we could do with more people like you and kind of gives Abby his address or the address of the organisation that he's a part of. So Leo continues to glower at this guy while yeah, he's, he... he is pissed off. Every new man that comes into her orbit, he just looks like another piece of him's died. It's just really sad. So obviously Curtis goes off having left his address with Abby and she says, you know, she's looking forward to seeing him again. And Leo looks really narked and the two of them have a kind of row as he tries to tell her that she's getting into deep water here and this is not the guy she wants to be fraternising with. And he chases after her when she storms off. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting that he argues really quite aggressively yeah, with her and yeah, then yeah. says, please don't let's argue. I know. He pushed it because she's just going, I like this guy. Yeah. And he's going, no, 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 let's not argue. But it's a good performance by Edward Heimel, though, because he's clearly all this boiling passion inside Leo. He, he can't, hasn't said it. He's got he to tell her. He can't say it. Tell her you he love needs her. A proper, he needs a, a decent mate to he tell He does. Him. Like, Davey should be more of a mate and say, look, yeah. we all know you fancy a yeah, mate. Tell just her, tell her you love her. You feel. Yeah, don't just hang around her for years. Years at a time, like helping her bring up her baby and listening to her problems. Tell her you fancy Whereas what Davy actually does is sees one <laughs> hint of any kind of seriousness and just goes, oh, I'm going off to dance again. I, I don't I care. I think he's trying to express his advice through the means of through dance. Means like of dance. he's using if dance. If you two would just dance more. <laughs> he's spelling Let's all it dance out. with the Nazis. He's, <laughs> he's spelling it out with parts of his body. He's trying hard. <laughs> then we cut to the Jolly Sailor where Tom and Avril are arriving just outside. She in an egg yolk smock. This is like one of the the worst pieces of clothing I've ever seen in my life. She remains beautiful, the dress not so much. And and they go inside and they're clearly halfway through a conversation. I really like this. I want to talk about this particularly because they're having a conversation where you don't know what they're talking about because they don't say, oh, so about you coming to my daughter's wedding. He doesn't say that. They're halfway through a conversation where you just, you hit them in the middle of it and at no point do they over explain. You just gently find your way there. I think it was a really nice piece of writing. We're allowed to find out at our own pace. Yeah, and yeah. that happens sometimes in Howard's Way. That doesn't happen if they have to explain a business thing or a bit of the plot that's just, you know, they can't quite work out how else to express it. But a lot of these very sort of small conversations, they're quite naturalistic and you do just have to, like you eavesdrop and you just sort of wander in, in the middle of it. And I really like that. It just treats you like an intelligent audience member. But he basically says to her, come to Lynn's wedding. Of course, it'll be fine. She's terrified that, you know, she'll turn up and then she'll pull focus in some way or make Lynn angry. And he just said, no, no, absolutely not. You know, I'm walking my daughter down the aisle. I want you to be there. So clearly they're still quite a close couple at this stage. I'm saying at this stage because... Oh, no. You know who she ends up with. <sighs> Sorry. Spoilers. Please, can it be Davy? <laughs> I wish I I don't want to spoil this but you know she ends up with someone you just think oh no Avril come on oh that's awful I don't want that to happen I know I'm so sorry steal yourself you're going to watch the rest of it you're going to have to see it at some stage then we go back to the yard where Jack is on the phone as Bill comes in and Jack's persuading Caroline over the phone to bring her project to the mermaid boatyard and there's no conclusive yes moment but he seems at the end of the phone call to be under the impression that now the mermaid boatyard is going to make her 40 footer it's bloody massive what's a little woman like that got to do with a four what's she going to do with a 40 foot boat I've no idea but he's in high spirits Jack goes straight to the filing cabinet gets the whiskey out obviously that's where he keeps it and pours Bill a glass and the two of them chink their glasses and he says a 40 footer bill solid wood he's going to make wooden boats again it's what he's been wanting to do for years and finally he's got his craft back and you know he's full of beans again and he says to bill the old firm is back in business bill and this time she's here to stay hooray that's so sweet and at that moment he does not give a shit about the barracuda no 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 he literally says stuff the barracuda it's like that's your cash cow that's the thing that's going to make you thousands and thousands of pounds but he doesn't care about money he just wants to make wooden boats and now someone's going to pay him to so it says something about they doing deals all the way through the episode and then he gets this deal done yeah but also i suppose over over a dover sole and a glass of yeah champagne. really nice but then also tom and jan's deal which you imagine would be much harder isn't like 
Tom's know, really nice I about know. it. I know, I know. He's a total darling. And then at this point, maybe Tom and Avril feel like it's totally sorted, like she's going to come to the wedding and yeah, everyone's getting They're on. back on yeah, track. Yeah, it's all fine. Yeah, everyone's sailing into the wind. Chris. So it's a nice, it feels like a nice concluding-y thing. <laughs> it does. But there are just so many other horrible things looming. I know. Not. That Curtis guy, clearly going to be trouble. That's for sure. And clearly the Abby situation with her two dads is going to have to unravel at some point. Though if she's not careful, Abby is going to end up inside that nuclear power station (laughs) in the edge of darkness in about 18 months' time. Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, no, Abby, stop. It's just rough. If he's that, or uh, some of the ALF stuff, I mean, just really... There's so much stuff that could happen. It's a bad business. And I tell you what, if I'm really honest, I don't want my episode's happy ending to be Jack. And it is. Big payoff of this episode is Jack has got his big order in and he's got his mojo back and has met this hot woman (laughs) and is going to build this enormous wooden 40-footer. He's totally... He's a self-actualised man. It's what he's wanted from episode one. Yeah. I want to build wooden boats. Yeah. Wooden boats made of wood that are wooden. (laughs) I don't care about Jack's wooden boats. No, not as much as he does. Deflated by that. Well, I'm sorry it couldn't be a happier ending for you, but have you enjoyed your time back in Tarrant? Oh, completely. (laughs) I really have. I love it. It's just lovely. Thank you so much for coming back and sailing with me. Um, Thank you so much for having me. Now, Chris, you've retired from music, so I'm not going to ask you to sing the theme tune. (laughs) But you've written some words for me, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm sorry, everyone, but I'm singing again. So I will sing your words to close the show. This is awesome. Have you sung before then? Have I missed one? Ah, oh, no. So you're here. Oh, in season two. Natalie yes. Haynes's episode. Yeah. Huh? She was too shy to sing. It just remains me to say that you should come and find us on Twitter. If you enjoyed the podcast, we'd love to hear from you. We're at Always There Pod on Twitter. Thank you, Chris Thorpe Tracy, for being always there. And always will. (laughs) Mysterious Jack Rolf looks serious Build a boat when your life's a mess And sail away I don't fancy them Lynn's wedding dress on the floor And Leo, I used to love him But now he's only okay